Now you listen to me. The most important thing that you must remember, that is, always appear half drunk. You almost think you look helpless. You understand that? Yes, teacher. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Dragons Forever podcast with me, Holly Mahal. And today I'm very, very happy to be joined by my good friend Kazra. Uh, Kazra, say hello. Hello, hello everyone. And uh, Kazra and I will be, well mainly Kazra, we're going to be talking about the Rush Hour trilogy of films. So for those of you who haven't seen it or, or haven't seen it in a while, uh, be sure to uh, stay tuned. First things first, before we get into the uh, the rest of the um, review of uh, the Rush Hour trilogy of films with Kasra, the first thing I want to talk about is some of the things that are happening in the world of martial arts cinema. And there's loads of stuff that's happening and there's some great websites out there on the web that can uh, keep you filled in. Uh, but some of the things that stood out for me that I'm probably most interested in uh, is that, number one, firstly, is... Uh, one of my most favourite TV programmes ever, Martial Law, starring a Big Brother himself, Samuel Hunk, is to be re-released um, after, what, nearly 20 years or something. It's uh, In fact, actually, uh, Martial Law came out, if I remember correctly, came out about 98, so about the same time that I think Rush Hour was made. Yes, so the it's, first uh, release of Rush Hour 1, yeah, 98. So that's a, that's a pretty long time. Uh, you know, so I'm very, very excited about the fact that it's finally getting uh, a release on uh, on DVD. And I can means I can probably get rid of all my... Uh, my uh, VHS collections that I had, which originally started on Channel 5. If everybody remembers, they played a show on Channel 5 first, and then on ITV2, I think, they were replayed. So the ones I missed on Channel 5, I got on uh, ITV. My, was, my obsession, obviously, with Hong Kong cinema and Kung Fu cinema is so bad that even though I had them on Channel 5, Kazra, I had to redo them on ITV3 in certain, in certain, on certain episodes so I could get the order correct so that it played exactly like from season one, episode one, all the way through like, I think it had 10 VHS tapes which ended on, like, you know, season two, like episode 24 or whatever it is where he, he uh, well, I won't spoil it for those who haven't, who haven't seen it, but I'll say it's right, right the way from the beginning right to the end, so. Yeah, I mean, I have to say it's something that I missed and now that you've spoken about it, it's, you know, I've, I saw it, we mentioned earlier, we were talking about it this earlier, and I mentioned that I'd you know, seen the kind of, um, the poster pictures as you were, the, the advertising pictures, and I'd seen like the advertisement for it on those channels. Uh, but I never got into it, and obviously, you know, that was uh, when I was a, a, a lot younger, so now probably I want to go back. Definitely. Martial Law, for those fans who um, remember it, rejoice. It's coming out on DVD. And for those who haven't even heard of it before, um, be sure to check it out. Um, I mean, there's lo- I mean, you can just Google this stuff and you can find the episodes on, you know, certain websites out there or even good old YouTube where you can find pretty much everything. So uh, be sure to, to give that a check out in its pristine standard definition 4x3 presentation you know full full quality uh right there so be sure to check that i'm definitely i'll probably end up knowing the way i am i'll probably will end up getting it on dvd anyway just because i tend to to buy loads of things in fact actually this is a link to an upcoming podcast that uh me and a friend will be doing uh speaking about dvds i've recently gone hardcore into getting like every hong kong legends dvd that i can find yeah. So you know, for those who are listening who aren't familiar with Hong Kong Legends, they were one of the premier labels, if not the premier label, from like the late '90s to 
2007 I think they they discontinued so for a good seven eight years they were like the go-to DVD label in England who were like getting proper prints from Hong Kong getting these classic Hong Kong films and then restoring them digitally restoring them to to look you know absolutely phenomenal for, you know for that time they were they looked incredible so that's been something that you know just over the last couple of weeks I've started to re-get some of the collection that I was missing and I think they released you know about 101 films I think and I think now as of this week at the moment I think I'm down to maybe my last six or seven DVDs to get wow uh, yeah. wow that's amazing so it's nearly uh, the full collection that's yeah that's pretty cool nearly the full collection but there are some very uh sneaky people up on eBay and the so forth that are asking for some ridiculous amounts of money for Ooh, well they but, know they know they know, man. They know there's going to be somebody silly like me out there you know <laughs> who will pay 80 quid for a version of Dreadnought, which is the one that I've been looking at recently, but I'm holding off. I'm like, no, I can't do it. Eighty pound for a DVD casual? Do you know what I mean? Well, you should shout out to the viewers to see if they've got any yeah, well, actually, yeah, any yeah. spare copies. Yeah, there. absolutely. If there's any listeners out there that have got uh, you know any copies of Hong Kong Legends DVDs, and you know you guys want to, maybe we can do a deal or something, some PayPal. <laughs> uh, just hit me up on the. Uh, we're doing everything via Twitter, so it's just at Auburn Digital. Um, maybe I'll start up. I mean, I'll start a hashtag like the Dragons Forever Podcast or something. So you know, yeah. If anybody else has got any, oh, anyone's got any stories about Hong Kong Legends DVDs? You know, maybe you found some of the Easter eggs that used to be on the DVDs, and you know you want to tell me about what your favorite hong kong legends dvd is then you know get in touch and then maybe we try and get you on uh, on onto onto the podcast so uh that's one of the big news for me uh, again like i said there's huge huge there's loads of news out there on the world of hong kong cinema but that was a big one for me um i'll do a quick recap of some of the other superstars um Massive, massive Hollywood star now. It's got to be Mr. Donnie Yen himself. Yes, absolutely. Um, I saw something that was tweeted by uh, uh, Mike Fury on uh, on uh, on Twitter, who's a uh, who's a who's a book author and, and a big film sort of reviewer, and he posted up a uh, a picture of Donnie Yen's uh, Tiger Cage too, I think it was, and that was like. I don't know how many years old that is. That's got to be like 25 years old or 28 years old. I remember that being one of the first VHSs I got hold hold of of Donnie and, and I've been hooked sort of uh, ever since. And that was a that was a a, a big a, a big 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 film because it's got he he was always known for his massive uh, sort of kicks. And um, yeah. I guess what I'm going with this is that you know he's been in the game for a long time. Like he's 50. I think he's 51. Yeah, 52, I think Tiger Cage Two was 90. Uh, 1990 so that was the year i was born so well there you go it's so, <laughs> so great crazy you know he's been around doing films for like a long time and yeah, people would probably say years. people yeah. probably say that you know he's like probably the only guy sort of left in hong kong which you know i'd say he's probably the undisputed king of sort of hong kong now right now certainly yeah. you know and but it's just crazy how long it, you takes, know, he, it takes hollywood he, to actually realize doesn't seem to age as well he doesn't seem to age. a bit like a bit like Jackie Chan, um, for such a long period of time, he just didn't doesn't seem to age like physically or anything like that. Oh, there we go. Um, yeah. But then now, over the past maybe like five to ten years, you can tell now Jackie Chan's getting a lot older. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, yeah, yeah. So maybe we'll catch up with him eventually. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I'll mention Jackie Chan in a minute, but with Donnie Yen, um, obviously the big thing about Donnie Yen that I mentioned it last time as well is the fact that he's in Rogue One. Um, yep. Which I think is a spin-off from the Star Wars films. I think I'm not sure. Yes. I'm, not, I'm not a big th- Star Wars. Yeah, fan, I think so. it's based on a. I want to say it's based on a graphic novel, or at least part of the extended universe of Star Wars, because obviously Star Wars was such a massive thing back from when it was originally released, and there's so many stories that are 
kind of linked to the main story that are just fan fiction, essentially. Sure. So I believe that Rogue One is either taking elements from fan fiction or the graf- or graphic novels or, or something along those lines um, and bringing it to the big screen, which I think is pretty good. And I like the fact that they're, they're doing a kind of like the, uh, the Marvel making a whole universe out of, out of a franchise. And I guess that's what they're trying to do with Star Wars. And I don't blame them because it's massive. Oh, it's, just, it's a yeah. massive franchise, probably one of the biggest. It's going to make them some serious money. That's yeah, oh, yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's massive. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen the trailer and he's in the trailer, Dolian, and he looks like he, he he's playing some kind of uh, force wielder. I'm not sure if he's actually like a Jedi or specifically a Jedi because in the time frame that this is supposed to be set, which is just after the the first three films not the first three films that were made but episode one two and three i believe it's just after that so that's i think that i believe that's the time i could be completely wrong though but i I believe that's what the timeline is well i'll I'll tell you something it's done it's definitely worked for me because i and people who know me constantly are on my back is that i don't have much knowledge of star wars i mean i know of star wars everybody well knows star wars but i i haven't watched any star wars uh, films so this might be kind of in a weird way maybe a link into watching Star Wars just because my main man Donnie ends in one of the you have to yeah, you yeah. have to yeah so. and I think the good thing about this is yeah I don't think you would have had to have watched any of the others that's what it's like it seems to be especially if it's you know I think watching the other ones may give you a bit of context in terms of the the storyline not the storyline the timeline itself and the kind of universe and like what you expect in the universe but I think it is probably a standalone film in itself cool. and it has a, that kind of um you can just just dive into it even if you've not watched the others well it looks pretty i think yeah i saw some something on the trailer and he's like whirling like a stick or i don't know whether he's meant to be blind i think or something in the in, in yeah the film, i think looks, he looks pretty... i think he he's he's a he's uh, that's what they call force sensitive it means they are aware that the force is uh this entity and and they're able to use it to improve their power Right. Uh, improve their fighting and their their general abilities. I guess is 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 what that is. A Jedi is someone who is taught how to use it and to how to control it. But I don't think he's actually a Jedi. I think he's just force sensitive. He knows about it. Uh, probably quite like. Um, oh yeah, man! It sounds very mythical, like using some sort of qigong. When exactly, like, oh, yeah, like, no, Kong exactly. Kong it's definitely taken it, uh, taken elements from from that kind of um, mythos. Definitely gonna watch that. In I guess probably on a on a different extreme to Star Wars is that Donnie Yen's also in. Or it's just what well, he's finished filming on um, the new Triple uh, X uh, film with uh, Vin Diesel. Oh, yeah, he's in that. I actually too. didn't. I didn't. I, I heard that it was coming out, but I didn't know Vin Diesel was coming back. Yeah, to play that's again. It, yeah. Vin Diesel's in there, and I think originally Jet Li was due to play that role, uh, and okay. then because there was some shots of of Jet Li and Tony Jaa together, because Tony Jaa's in the film too, uh, yeah. and then I think he was replaced by Donnie Yen, or he replaced Jet Li. Um, Tony Jaa, I'm sorry, guys. I, I, there's the, one of the guys was replaced. Jet Li left, and it was replaced by either Donnie Yen or Tony Jaa. Mm. I think it was Donnie Yen. I think Donnie Yen came in. They shot it in Toronto. 
and uh, yeah, there's a couple of um, shots of him doing his famous kicks and whatever uh, in that film. So, and Donnie Yen still looks like he looks in great shape, man. So you know, which is good to see. It kind of gives me a lot of uh, uh, gives me a lot of inspiration. You know, just keep staying, keep sticking to martial arts, and you know, you can look good well into your fifties. Yeah, know, absolutely. That's that's the message, kids. Absolutely, that's yeah. the message. Stay in, stay in your exercise. Say no to drugs. All right. <laughs> uh, so uh, so that's Donnie Yen. Um, apparently, there's loads of films down the pipeline for him but we'll see what what actual actually materializes uh jackie chan still going strong i think he's got like four films out or due to come out he's got skip trace with uh johnny knoxville yes from yes from jack s yeah i've seen uh i've seen the trailer for that it does you know what it doesn't look too bad at all yeah it looks all right i think it's, it's doable uh there's um uh, there's another one that's probably not got that much like hand-to-hand combat in uh railroad tigers i think is based on um on um on chinese building railroads i assume from the from the title from stuff i've seen uh there's also one called the foreigner which he's shooting in london i think at the moment it's got Piers brosnan in okay. and uh he's done a bollywood film too called kung fu yoga I think uh, oh. so. He's definitely, uh, you know, definitely spreading those creative uh, talents around to different genres, which is good. Because now, I think at this stage, you know, I, I was going to say he's not a massive box office hit, but apparently, um, Skip Trace uh, has done massive, massive business in China, so he's still a massive draw. Uh, and I think from obviously this is time sensitive to when we record this podcast, but at the moment, um, the news is that he was filming on top of the Sydney Opera House doing some sort of fight scene or something there. So he's still still living the life, man. Still doing the uh, still doing still the action. Yeah. So that's like a sci fi um, apparently that's a sci fi film called Bleeding Steel, which is uh, gonna be made. So, you know, he's doing a, a you know, a lot of different you know, types of work, which is great, you know, and he's still yeah. active, you know, still active in in his sixties. Yeah. Uh, again, another massive um advocate of martial arts and you know martial arts keeps you fit so you know absolutely yeah um and i think uh i think that's pretty much the news wrap wrap up or for what i can think of anyway unless there's anything else you can think of that i might have missed i no i don't think so i think skip trace is actually quite a good segment uh segment into rush hour because it's it seems it's like it's got a very similar storyline to it Oh yeah, it's got a, a good pairing of a of a comedy person with a, yeah. with Jackie's a bit probably more straight laced kind of a uh, yes. you know sort of character. Even though he looks like he's maybe a little bit more sort of chilled in Skip Trace. I don't know. I can only tell by by the trailer. Yeah. All right. So let's get into uh, the Rush Hour trilogy uh, with Kasra. So, war. What is it good for, Kazra? It's absolutely nothing. That's what it is. <laughs> but I tell you what, Rush Hour is good for something, and that is making you laugh. So yeah. that's, uh, that's a positive. So we've got Rush Hour, and it's a trilogy. And um, I guess, you know, I've heard rumors now that it might not be a trilogy anymore because there is, you know, rumors circulating around the interwebs that there could be a Rush Hour 4. Um, and the only bit of info I've really heard is that it could be set in Moscow. So we've got a new city. Um, now, who knows if that's going to happen or not? Mm. You know, things, th- rumors are always circula- uh, circulating around all various types of films, franchises, uh, all of these different, these different um, kind of trilogies or, or, you know, 
Um, yeah, for sure. They're always like someone saying, "Oh, that, you know, if something's if something's a success, in true sort of Hong Kong style, they'll yeah. just do yeah, a sequel after a sequel just to kill it." So yeah. uh, I, I don't think anybody was probably expecting Wish I One to be so successful. So obviously two, no. three, two and three, and there's bound to be talks. I think where that rumor probably started from is, if I'm not mistaken, I think um, Chris Tucker visited. Jackie Chan while he was shooting in China or somewhere. And, oh, okay. Uh, I think people were like, oh, you know, Chris Tucker's there, and uh, I don't know if Brett Ratner was there, and there was talk of, you know, they t- did they're discussing maybe a new Rush Hour movie or something like that. Yeah. So I think maybe it might have come from there. However, th- th- those rumors, you're right, there've been rumors of Rush Hour Four for quite a while, and yeah. I guess the only I... thing the only thing that's actually materialized is that in between all this, Rush Hour with TV show yes. has, has been created, but. Um, See, people said that the, the show had been axed, but I think it's just gone through like a, a mid-season break because uh, I'm sure I've seen some trailers for the next part of the season. So I think they had like seven episodes done, and uh, which I actually quite enjoyed, to be honest. I don't know if you, you know saw what? it. I, I haven't actually seen it yet, and it's it's definitely on you know my to my to do or my to uh, to watch list because there's so much that is on my to watch list now, and it's 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 getting to the point where I need to actually just just stop doing anything else other than just watching things <laughs> so you know i've i'm you know we're both game of thrones fans so that always takes priority when that comes out because you can't you can't sit on game of thrones because it, it's got this you know this whole spoilery thing that goes on and you just have to watch it so aside from that you know rush hour this this tv show is definitely something that i need to to add to the watch list and it looks pretty good it looks pretty interesting it looks like um the two mating leads, and I don't know their names, so I apologise so for that. So that's uh, well, I know the guy who plays the the kung fu uh, Jackie Chan is John. Yeah, Fu. John Fu. He's in that. He, he, he John Fu was actually in. Um, if I'm not mistaken, was in. Do you remember uh, that Tony so, Jaa film where he goes to he goes to to recapture his uh, his elephant that's been like to yes ho- to hostage. Uh, the, yes. The, uh, Tom, oh, what? Tom Yugong, I think it was in, in Thai, but that's probably a really bad yeah, no, pronunciation. But the, no, pre- that's, protector, yeah. the, the protector was... The protector, was that's it, yeah. It really good film, yeah, actually. So yeah, so he plays the... Guy. Yeah, that was, a re- that was a fantastic film with the fights were incredible. He's yeah. the... John Fu's the guy who... Um, you know where they, he fights the Brazilian guy in that sort of temple, sort of like this, like, you know... It's oh, really, the Capoeira guy. Yeah, the Capoeira. It's really, yeah. it's re- it's really quite cinematic where, like, there's, like... Um, I don't know if it's, like, a flood in the building or something. John Fu's the guy who comes in and he's fighting with the sword in that so John Fu's yeah. been involved with like martial arts films for yes for, for, for I think I've so. seen him in um I don't know if you ever played the video game Tekken um yeah yeah he played the live action uh he played in that a live action I think he was Jin oh cool in in that um I think I recall him from that Wicked, yes. So, John, so, yeah, I've seen him before. He he's uh he actually pl- I think he actually plays quite a good Jackie Chan but he's quite uh you know there's not there's not as much there is there's some nice little martial arts bits in there it's not yeah it's not i don't think it's that well choreographed personally i don't think it's like anything major and i think it, yeah i think that's where jackie chan is pretty much like he's god tier in terms of choreography you know yeah his his comedy comes through his fighting and um it's it's really apparent and and i'll come into it when we when we get into the the rush hour films but it's really apparent that his comedy comes so comes through so well in his in his fighting um, and the choreography that goes into the fighting. Um, yeah, I, it's going to be t- it's it's going to be hard. It's a tall order for someone to come in and try and try and match that kind of that um, that kind of humor, that kind of energy 
for for yeah for someone to come in yeah. like that. So it's a tall order. It is. You can. I mean, you can do the you can do the straight um, the kind of normal acting comedy acting style. You can probably get up to to Jackie's level. Um, but yeah, the differentiating is going to be where it comes in the choreography and the fighting scenes and how they're shot and how they come across in 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 the show. I think. I uh, think Brett Ratner produced the TV show, so oh, okay. uh, yeah, and it was shot. Interesting. In, yeah, so it was shot in in Los Angeles and all that kind of stuff. So I won't be surprised if he's you know if he's maybe got a taste for trying to trying to bring back Rush Hour Four. And to be fair, you know, if nothing else, I think Chris Tucker could do with the work. To be fair, there's been a lot of talk about a new Friday film um, with him, uh, obviously Ice Cube and Mike Epps as well. That again, that's room. That's rumors again. It's, rumors, yeah, <laughs> it's <man>. the rumors. <laughs> yeah, they kill you, man. So, uh, all right, let's get into rush yeah. hour. Let's go into rush hour one. Let's let's reminisce and go down memory lane. Yeah. So, um, essentially, the the films generally. So, this is all of them. The films generally, they're an action comedy buddy cop esque. So, it really plays on the interactions between the two two main protagonists, which are Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker, and they play. Um, Detective Inspector Lee and um, Chris Tucker plays um, Detective Carter. Detective James Carter. James Carter. I remember we said yep. the United States of James Carter. I remember that in the film. Yep, yep. <laughs> that is in the film. Yeah, and so it's it's really their kind of their relationship and them working together in very like you know they they start off um, almost at odds. But they have a very similar goal, so their odds are kind of pushed aside when they start to understand each other and they start to um, get a bit of a rapport with each other and they, they become essentially good friends by the end of, of, of the first one, leading on to the second and then to the third. They're extremely close friends, they're brothers almost. That's the kind of overview of what it is. It's, it's quite, you know, if I could compare it to another film, it's, it's quite lethal weapon, but more comedy a little less serious but it still has that that buddy cup one's a straight shooter one is not by the books um that kind of thing sure, so yeah. if, if you can think of lethal weapon but in, in more of a kind of comedy light-hearted way but then you've also got kung fu which just comes and tops it all off completely random but yeah. i remember when lethal weapon had a bit of a bit of slice of the Orient when they brought Jet Li in. Yes, they did. Debut. It was it was three, wasn't it? The third one. It was four, I think. Was it four? Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was around again. That was around the same ish time as well. Yeah. Of Rush Out. That was completely random, but I thought I just dropped that in. No, there. no, absolutely right. Yeah, I remember that. I was so, like, yes, oh, Jet Li, yeah. Yeah, that was good because Jet Li played the baddie as well, which is which is yeah. which is which is good to see. He does actually play a good baddie. Yeah, plays, plays a very good baddie. He should yeah. play should play the baddie more often, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so let's let's get into the first one. So the initial release date for Rush Hour One or Rush Hour Original mm-hmm. was nineteen ninety eight, and this, these are all the, these are all um, so the, distributed by New Line Cinema and directed by Brett Ratner. And this is uh, the same for Rush Hour Two and Rush Hour Three. So I won't say that. I'll just say that the initial release dates for those. Sure. Two. But um, yep. Yeah, so distributed by New Line Cinema and directed by Brett Ratner, who actually seems to get quite a lot of stick for a lot of his films. <laughs> um, you know, when when looking back at his you know his film list, it doesn't seem that bad. 
in my opinion, but he does seem to get quite a lot of stick. You know, I like all the Rush Hour films. That's why I'm talking about them today. Yeah. Um, and also Horrible Buses. But I think he was a producer for that. And I liked Horrible I like, Buses. I, like that. I, I, I like thought it was a, a pretty good comedy film. Um, but then we come to something that was pretty disastrous and he directed Tower Heist. Yeah. That was... um, and <laughs> I, I don't, have you seen it? I've seen I, it, I, yeah. I've seen it's it. pretty abysmal. There's parts which are okay, you know. It's it's not very watchable if I'm if I'm honest. Uh, I don't think I don't think anyone can help uh, Eddie Murphy resurrect his career. To be fair, not even Brett Ratner. No, of... he doesn't need to. He's he's probably still got millions upon millions from his wonderful career during the eighties and nineties. So. Well, he's well he's having to split it all now because he just can't stop having kids, can he? Oh, with, with yeah. different women, so it's probably uh, that money's going to be gone soon, man. Because well, you know, child that's support. That's probably what he's doing. Child yeah. support, man. They don't. They don't mess around. What I'd like to see him do, actually, again, I mean, we're gonna keep, we're gonna keep making uh, a little divergence, but I think it's pretty cool. I th- I'd love to see Eddie Murphy just write, do some writing, some, yeah. something, you know, write, a, write some scripts for some films, or maybe even a TV show or something like that. I bet on set, I bet he must have like said to Ratner, "Why didn't you cast me as uh, James Carter?" I'm been, sure. Like, I bet he would have said, I'm "Look, man, sure. he goes, look, I've done." Uh, yeah. Number 48 hours, I've done Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. You know, why did you not get me into in, into Russia? And the funny thing is, I can see him in the role. I can see him in the role, but I I can't now take out uh, Chris Tucker because no, Chris Tucker he, made he's, it just, he's just amazing in this. I yeah. think, yeah, he's really fantastic in this. But I feel, bad, yeah. I feel bad for Chris Tucker. I remember like Chris Tucker did like Friday. He did a film with Brett Ratner before that. I think it was called Money yeah. Talks with, um, I think Charlie Sheen was in it, which which was all right. It wasn't too bad. And then obviously then they made Rush Hour together. They did Rush Hour 2. And then just kind of like not really done like anything which is fine if he's made his money and he's happy that's all good uh but it's, i feel like it's a bit of yeah. a shame because i think you know, he was in oh, the fifth element as well if you I don't know if you remember that oh that's that, right yeah that came out uh a year before rush hour yeah with uh, bruce was that bruce willis now bruce willis yeah it was no, bruce was willis it, yeah. and uh, mila jovovich yeah jovovich i don't know how to pronounce this the, res- the resident evil I think yes that's the one yeah, yeah. it's that's a nice, that's a good film he plays quite a good role in it it's like a he dresses up in like some really flamboyant um kind of a dress almost and he has some funky hairdo <laughs> come yeah, on chris a, come on chris come back and do some good films come on yes we need you back that's pretty much uh who's involved uh and i think that Rush Hour one, two, and three are probably his best films out of out of all of his his repertoire of films. I think these are the best films he has. Yeah. More specifically, one and two. I'll come in. We'll, I guess we'll talk about a little bit of how we feel about each one. Um, probably at the end of each one, or maybe at the sure, end of yeah. the thing. Um, so I'll just do a kind of a, a quick, like an overview of of what happens uh, in the films. So we essentially start off the film with uh, Inspector Lee, who's played by Jackie Chan, who's on a, a solo case to bring down the criminal, a criminal organization in Hong Kong who have stolen lots of extremely valuable, almost priceless ancient uh, Chinese artifacts that are worth millions upon millions of dollars. And, you know, we always talk about priceless, but then there's money, there's yeah. actually like a money, money, like a monetary value put on it, oh, but it's still priceless, but it's pretty much what someone is willing to pay for those, you know, they're, but they're, let's say they're worth millions, but they are like one of a kind treasures, like ancient ch- Chinese uh, artifacts and treasures. So um, he's, he's trying to take down this, this organization. Um, and it's the, the organization is led by a mysterious man called Jun Tao. Jun Tao! Um, 
I remember that. Sorry, just jumping so, in there with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you. Know, keep, yeah, keep jumping in. I like this. We love this. Um, unfortunately, Lee doesn't get uh, get the man himself, but he instead finds all the che- uh, treasure in a shipyard um, with Gentile's right-hand man called Sang. Um, and Sang escapes, but Lee causes backup and they retrieve all the stolen fa- artifacts. Um I just want to mention that it's set right at the end of the British crowning rule in Hong Kong, which uh, ended in 1997. Mm-hmm. So it's quite topical within that uh, period. And we know this because Inspector Lee's superiors, uh, one being Chinese uh, Consul Han, um, who's played by Xin Ma, and the British commander, uh, I guess commander-in-chief uh, of the police over for the British side of it, um, Commander Thomas Griffin, who's played by Tom Wilkinson. So, so two um, like quite quite well respected actors, because absolutely, know, cause absolutely, they, you know, yeah. I mean, um, and, and a lot, a lot of films, those guys. Yeah, and I mean, especially I know Tom Wilkinson a lot more than I do, say Zimma. He's been in loads of films. He's, been, he's, he's always, a fantastic. Yeah, he's like the go-to yeah. kind of like Chinese. Uh, yeah. you know, actor. He was in martial law as well, just randomly. He played a villain. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice little <laughs> segue <laughs> to it, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Tom Wilkinson, he's a really good actor. Um, he plays a lot of his roles very well. Um, and I, didn't actually, I didn't actually know his surname in the film, so I had to look it up, and his name is Thomas Griffin, because he's always been called um, Thomas or Commander, or, you know, yeah. Thomas by um, his friend, Cancel Han. They have a very close relationship, and you can see that in the scene where they're celebrating both an end of an era and also the fact that um, Inspector Lee, um, led by Council Han and Commander Griffiths, uh, Griffins, has um, pretty much taken down the Gentiles' um, operations and they've saved, saved the um, Chinese artifacts from being lost to the world, essentially. They're celebrating the end of uh, the era and Council Han is now going to move to America to take up a new diplomatic role. Um, And he's taking along his daughter, Su Young. Um, We're led to believe that the mother passed away previous to the film setting. So that doesn't really come into it, but we just know that the the mom is not there. Um, So, uh, yeah, Su Young uh, has, you know, we have a little scene, which is quite a nice scene between... um, Lee and uh, Su Young, and they they seem to have quite a close relationship, um, kind of like a maybe a big brother or kind of another father figure um, for her, and we're led to believe that he tra- trains her a little bit from time to time because they start talking about you know practice your kicks, make sure you practice your kicks and that kind of thing, and he also uh, gives her a departing gift saying uh, that's a necklace, and he also says don't worry about America and because she seemed quite worried. She was like, I don't have any friends there, that kind of thing. You know, the usual worries that a young child would have when they're moving places. And he's like, no, don't worry, don't worry. Um, You'll be fine. America has really nice people. And it has this amazing, like, cut to, to Detective James Carter of the Los Angeles Police Department, who's in his, I believe it's a 1972 Chevy, Chevrolet Corvette. Um, you know, his, uh, his black convertible car. Oh, it's a, it's a brilliant car. Oh, you know, when I saw that first, I was like, you know what? That's the car I want to get when I'm older. It's like a lot of people, uh, they watch like James Wand and they want to get an Aston Martin or they want to get, uh, you know, some kind of like really sick car, like from those kind of films. I wanted to get a Chevy, uh, a Chevrolet Corvette just from this film because I love the look of the car. But yeah, so we had that little, uh, 
cut away from him saying, yeah, American people are really nice. And he's driving in the car, swearing at people on the road, <laughs> like just being a big, like bad mouth. Like this kind of guy. I just like, I love that little, um, that like little humorous um, Yeah, it's a good, cut. It's a good juxtaposition. Of two yeah, absolutely. Movies. I love that. Yeah. We're set up now with uh, Detective James Carr in LA of the LLP, uh, LAPD. Um, and he's doing a little kind of undercover um, work uh, as a criminal looking to purchase some C4 explosives from a shady guy outside of a donut shop. Um, the guy's called Clive and he's played by Chris Penn. There you go. Another, yeah. bi- another big name. A big star. And, you know, obviously at the time I never, I never really no- noticed it, but I, I always liked his his um his acting in this i really liked his performance in this i remember when i was younger i used to really like this guy's performance as this person even though it's such a small part yeah i just remembered him being really good and 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 i i knew then later on when i went to watch loads of other films that he was involved with that you know he's got a strong acting background and not just because the fact that he was in something like you know things like reservoir dogs yeah um, but also you know his he's got a a famous, a probably more famous brother, Chris Penn, as well. So, so that uh, that was those two um, undercover kind of thing. He was like trying to buy the C four to, and then to to catch him, arrest him for whatever. But unfortunately, it goes downhill uh, when there's two unsuspecting on duty cops <laughs> who, uh, I guess, they were trying to make their way in to get something to eat. Some donuts, uh, obviously. They they had to go with this the. The stereotypical donut eaters so um, and then they obviously they notice this really shady dealing where this these two guys are just looking into a trunk one of them's a one's one's a black guy one's this like big white guy with a fro and <laughs> they're just like uh step away from the vehicle step away from the vehicle and carter's trying to give them the old eye and tell them you know officers get in the car everything's under control etc yeah. etc et um and it all goes a bit tits up Clive tries to escape. That's Chris Penn's character, and uh, he kind of returns, like tries to shoot him down in the typical, like kind of uh, gun ho American <laughs> style that you know we're we're very used to seeing in films. And he ends up uh, shooting the back of the car where the explosives are, and the uh, car explodes, um, causing massive damages. The officers are injured, and yeah, so it all goes wrong from there. We then cut away and we're, we're now back with Cancel Han, but he's already moved over to the US. He's settling in and his daughter's now going for her, I believe it's her first day of school. And on this journey through LA's notorious rush hour, I believe that's why the name is as it is, um, a man who we know to be Sang, who is the, uh, I guess, the henchman of um, Juntao, he stops the the car and the bodyguards that Su Young's uh, in in the car, and she's uh, he kills the the bodyguards and takes her away, uh, kidnaps her essentially. So this is the reason why we've got Jackie Chan's character, Inspector Lee, uh, coming in, and yeah, because Cancel Han wants one of his own people to come and help, because he he's not comfortable not having someone that he knows that he trusts. Um, so he gets he he gets someone on a flight over. So obviously that's going to be Inspector Lee because that's probably his his closest uh, friend who is a who is a a policeman. 
Yeah. And the FBI really don't like it. They don't like it at all. They they want to just be left alone. Apparently, I think one of the quotes is the FBI don't want some chunking cup coming <laughs> over. So, and I've got to say, actually, I want to mention this because there's a lot of things in this film which probably wouldn't get would probably wouldn't get through today. It probably wouldn't be shown or maybe aired even today. And it, it's a shame because I think it's not even that long ago as well. Um, it's a lot of it's a lot of casual kind of stereotypical. Yeah, oh, I, love oh, I love but it. But it's it's harmless. It's, it is harmless. I, I I believe that you know these things are the, they can be funny. This film is just loaded with just like just some awesome lines, some some awesome yeah. awesome scripts back and forth, back and forth. You know, just little throwaway stuff. Yeah, it it really is. And so you know they don't want some chunking cup. So essentially, what they do is like uh, they want to they're going to get someone from the LAPD who is uh, apparently, you know, the LAPD is not very well respect- respected in the, the US. Obviously, <laughs> us, us being in the UK, we don't really have that. Oh, We're yeah. not aware of that. But, you know, from what we've got from, you know, our films, I guess, is that the LAPD are, they're either useless or people just hate them for some reason. Johnson, this the LAPD. We the most hated cops in all the free world. My own mama shame on me. She tell everybody I'm a drug dealer. Ain't no team. Um, so they get, the, they get someone from the LAPD to, to come in. And that person, obviously, is Carter, uh, Detective uh, James Carter. And obviously, the reason for this is because of the whole debacle between Carter's sting operation with Clive that causes officers to be injured in a massive explosion to cause massive damages uh, to uh, the city. I should say on that, be sure to watch the, at the end of the film, watch the behind the scenes, like the, what, what they call the NGs, the no goods. The no goods, yeah. because yeah. there's some funny funny uh, scripts in there when they're trying to shoot that, that scene. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's, it's hilarious. And yeah, so they so they 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 call up the police chief uh, of of the LAPD, uh, and he he pretty much just forces Carter to go into it. He doesn't really tell him. He doesn't tell him. He he makes it he makes it out to be that he's actually like promoting him. He's giving this him this really good chance because he believes he did like really well. Um, but really, he's just punishing him and making him babysit um, Lee, Inspector Lee. Um, which obviously he finds out later and he's not he's not very happy about at all. Yeah, I understand you want me to babysit somebody, but I don't do that. I, I came down here for the, the big truth assignment. is, this is an FBI operation and I don't need any help from the LAPD or some chunking cop. You got it? Whoa, 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 whoa. Why didn't y'all put one of your own men on this top priority case? What the hell am I supposed to do with him? Take him to the zoo? Carter goes to pick up um, Lee from the airport and I guess this is where one of the mo- more famous lines comes through where he's picking him up from the airport and, uh, and uh, Lee's not, he's not really responding to anything that Carter's saying. And um, Carter then goes on to say, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And I guess that's, that's one of the kind of more iconic um, lines in the film. Oh, yeah. And he just, like, you know, it's, it's a very quotable line, I think. One of the most more quotable lines out of the whole film. I'm Detective Carter. Do you speak any English? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? You could have used that in like everyday context. Absolutely, yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing. And so uh, Lee kind of plays off that he doesn't speak English <laughs> for for quite a long time. Lee wants to go straight to the council and find out and start working the case. Obviously, Carter knows that he can't do that because he's essentially babysitting him. Um, but he also wants to 
find out who did this to try and prove to everyone that he's this really good detective. So although they have these very differing and polarizing personalities, their main goal is the same. Their, their motivations are different, but their goal is the same. So that's their common ground that they work on throughout the whole film. And that's how their relationship grows. That's how they're kind of... Um, how they bounce off each other so well uh the fact that they've got this one common thing that they need to do um but the comedy ensues when they've got the conflicting personalities and yeah. the conflicting motivations <laughs> to it the drop will be made tonight 11 p.m the amount will be 50 million dollars 50 million dollars and who do you think you kidnapped chelsea clinton it's one long chase um it's the chase for the end goal. It's they're you know they're rushing around, almost like in in a circle, trying to get away, trying to get the next bit of information that's going to put them into the you know closer and closer to to the saving of Su Young. Essentially, that's that's what's going to happen. I think it's really important to say that you know Rush Hour, um, you know for most people, uh, you know Russia came out in '98. Now for those who have been uh, following Jackie Chan's career for um, a lot longer than that or are aware of Jackie's yeah. um, previous, you know, uh, entries into Hollywood. Um, yeah. I think it's really important to say that, obviously, at this point in time, you know, Jackie Chan is, you know, without a doubt, the biggest superstar in uh, uh, in Hong Kong and in in, yeah. in in Asia, probably. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's there were, obviously at the same time, there's still other, there's other big names. There's Andy Lau, who's still big today, and Chow Fat, and so forth. But yeah. in terms of, was, act, I mean, Jet Li know, as well. I Jet guess. Li, yeah, of course, Jet Li too. But I mean, in terms of, you know, action cinema, I think Jackie Chan is still at, at the peak of his powers. Yeah. You know, uh, he's still a massive draw. So, yeah. I, I believe Bet Ratner had to do quite a lot of persuading to get Jackie to, to get on this film because his previous outings in Hollywood hadn't really showcased him well. And he'd actually done um, a film before he did one of his most famous films police story he did a film yeah. called the protector in uh in america and um you know i don't really like the film that much but I, like i said i'm trying to collect all my hong kong legends dvd so i will end up i will I haven't end up, actually I, I will, seen it so. i will i will end yeah. up buying i will end up buying it uh but being a fan obviously i'd got a hold of a copy when i went to uh, north america years ago uh on region one and you know there's yeah. two versions of that film that film was so you know how do you say rubbish that uh you know jackie ended up actually reshooting his own version of the film and re redoing a different whole fight scene for the end because it was so bad but yeah. the group but the great thing about it is he came out and he created police story and he's been a massive you know a massive massive superstar since so what's interesting is here is obviously you've got jackie chan coming back to america to, to shoot this video to, to shoot this film and this film was is a massive massive success and yeah. i think that um definitely did re relaunch jackie chan again you know and he's in his by this stage, he's forty-four, something like that. Uh, you know, so you know he sort of, yeah, you, know, he, you know, he sort of, he sort of relaunched him again, and he, he becomes this massive. You know, I mean, a couple of years before that, they had re sort of released um, Rommel in the Bronx in America, and that I think sort of started the whole sort of people yeah. getting interested in Jackie Chan. Um, but you know, this as a yeah, film, this was a think, massive yeah, success. It was I think, massive. I think yeah. it it made like two at least two hundred million, like. On, on its on its costs in '98, oh. that was a massive amount of money. Oh yeah, absolutely. Things yeah. have changed a little bit now in the whole cinematic universe. You've got Marvel making like half billions, Star Wars making half billions, etc. Like that kind of, those are like massive numbers. But, but this, based that's on the a budget, massive film for a comedy action comedy. Yeah, and it's probably a massive that's, return return yeah. on its uh, on its budget, it's isn't it? The point I was gonna, just just going to make was that the film um, 
was so huge that obviously, I mean, people like myself and and other people who've been watching Jackie's career since you know, uh, you know, the eighties or whatever, yeah. you know, obviously we've known that Jackie Chan is the man we've yeah. known for like a long time. So it's kind of interesting, you know, kind of. You know, I mean, when Rush Hour came out, there was a whole bunch of new fans, you know, yeah. who who were just like, wow, you know, because the well, the first things first, it's not in subtitles because I know that was a massive problem for Americans because they hate yeah. ha- hate having to yes, they do to, hate having to read. I remember seeing this film once. There was this great quote. It was like, well, if I wanted to read, I'd read a book, you know, yeah. and I don't want <laughs> I don't want to have to read a film. Yeah. So uh, and. Yeah, I think that was a massive thing because then people, you know, were like, oh, gosh, there's this great guy who can do stuff and I'll go back and watch the other dubbed films, you know, and then it was like sort of re, you know, re being introduced to all these these great films. That was a great time for me because I could re-watch and tell people like, oh, yeah, you need to watch Armour of God, you need to watch, you know, Project A, you need to watch blah, 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 blah. so I think it's quite, I think, I think it's, not I think just not even funny. just not just Jackie Chan films. Sorry oh, to, just, uh, to interrupt, but yeah, it's not just Jackie Chan films. I think generally kung fu films. Anyway, I can't. You know, I've tried to think back. You know, when you approached me to do this, I tried to think back to where where, where the root is of my love of kung fu films, Hong Kong films, and I, I don't know where it is exactly because I have watched so many various different types of films when I was younger. I guess they all amalgamated and made made me like really interested into it. So, you know, when I was younger, I, if I uh, I remember one time I I didn't sleep all that well. One night I came downstairs and my dad was watching Way of the Dragon, um, and I think we'll speak about that in a bit. But um, we were watching Way of the Dragon, so that was my first introduction to Bruce Lee. And um, and then, like I said, you know, watching this when I was young got me into kind of watching Jackie Chan films. So yeah, I think he this film certainly for western audiences helped it was part of my kind of um i guess my learning of this this whole new this whole other uh, this whole other new cinema that i can now go and watch asian I, cinema absolutely i mean i always kind of it's kind of strange i liken it to one of the big things in my life is uh, apple apple computers apple technology as well as various different technology and i remember being i remember feeling where like when Rush Hour came out, sort of yeah. feeling like when, I guess, the iPhone came out for Apple and I was like, well, you know, I've been using Apple products and buying Apple products for so many years before the iPhone came out. Yeah. And it was like, oh, that was like our thing. And there's just this small community of people who are really into Apple. And then yeah. the iPhone comes out and it's like everybody and his dog's got an iPhone now. So it's yeah. like, what, what's different about Apple stuff now? Yeah. And I remember kind of feeling like before Rush Hour came out, it was just like, you know, the people who knew, like, just, you know, just the true heads, the Kung Fu heads were like, yeah, you know, have you seen this, 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 this film, you know, and it was like, Rush Hour came out. It was kind of like, oh, Jackie's not ours anymore. You know, yeah. Jackie's gone now. And it's like, it's Hollywood. And now all these, like, Americans are going to be, like, into into Kung Fu films and all that kind of stuff. So, it, it, you know, I remember being at that time being, like, quite 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 angry like oh jackie's made it now like i'm like you know he's not gonna he's gonna forget about us you know you know classing myself as one of the as as, as one of the chinese from hong kong it's 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 like it's like when you're younger and you you've got this favorite band who's not very well known and then they make this breakthrough in like they have a one song that's really popular and they make this breakthrough and now everyone's listening to the same band that you've (laughs) held held sacred and now you they kind of lose favor in you but you you've just got to give props where it's due. Yeah, and Jackie's, you know, I I I love seeing when someone is small and they were good and they've finally been recognised 
Um, and I'm not saying that Jackie was Jackie was Jackie Chan was not small when he was when he was making Rush Hour. He was big. He was a massive hit. But in the West, he wasn't exactly. Yeah, that, and he really point. cemented himself with this film. And I also, you know, we're talking about um, Rush Hour, but I think Who Am I was also another film that I was in. And I can't remember between the two which I saw first. Well, Rush. Well, Who Am I was ninety seven. Was it ninety seven? Yeah. So but who, I much, you know, I didn't watch them on their initial release dates itself. Yeah, I watched sure, them yeah. maybe a couple of years after, like on, on film or whatever, when I was like ten or something. Um, yeah, so I can't remember which, you know, which out of the two I watched first. It might have been Who Am I, it might have been Rush Hour, that kind of thing. But yeah, Rush Hour definitely, you know, cemented him in Hollywood too. Yeah, he absolutely and agree. it really did, you know, start the whole, like a whole new, like, love again uh, for, for Westerners, for kind of, you know, Kung Fu, Hong Kong, Jackie Chan films. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can't complain. I mean, if it wasn't for, you know, that exposure to Hollywood, then we probably wouldn't have seen, you know, like Wu Ping go work on yeah. oh, on yeah. The Matrix and Kill Bill. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and if that didn't happen, then we wouldn't see all that, you know, all our sort of beloved cinema be re-released on DVD. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, so. it's almost cyclical. Like um, before, Bruce Lee brought the whole... Um, the kung fu craze to the west as well and obviously there was cinema before bruce lee yeah. it, from asia and that probably did the exact same thing but like 20 years earlier or was it 30 years earlier for sure so i'm sure there'll be a point again in like 10 20 years time where there's a one there's one superstar that comes back and reinvigorates asian cinema for the western audiences anyway yeah i forgot and that's what I'm, that's what I, that's what we're all hoping for now man it's so like in a strange way it's like kind of the success of like jet and jackie and yeah even I was, Chai, everybody went over to america, america and that left i was expecting uh tony jar to, to for that to come but it might still come you know he's still i, I believe he's still pretty young so you know, yeah i think he's make some he so he's, made, he's already made big hits already you know yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he, it was, yeah. He, Ong Bak he, is no joke in the West. Nah, man, Ong Bak was, Ong Bak was... In the, was in the West as well, like, it's, it's no joke, people love that film here. Yeah, that's, that's, if, if it had carried on after, after The Protector, I think he might have got, got somewhere, but that little, that long gap he had between, yes. between movies didn't, you know, didn't really do him any, 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 any help, I think, but, but Donnie Yen just come in and just filled the gap. You know, Don Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen's, oh, yeah. Donnie Yen's gone like Donnie Yen's in his forties before he really started making huge hits like SPL and stuff like that. Yeah, you know that was uh, that's pretty crazy. But we'll do we'll have to do a Donnie Yen special at some point. Oh definitely. yeah, absolutely. So um, okay, so I mean we're you know we've obviously we we've got, we've got gone into Russia now before I, I guess before we sort of move on to Rush Hour 2 and 3. Yeah. So for Rush Hour 1, what would you say is um, you know we hope the reason we're doing this podcast is we're not here to to tell people who put you know everything and, and everything about all the films that we talk about I mean, Russia, we know a lot of people have already seen it this is yeah. kind of to us to kind of to relive films that we've like yeah. um you know and and most importantly you know whichever guest you know i'm lucky to have on on on, on the show it's whatever film they feel passionate about and i just sort of just jump in you know with a few tidbits here and there yeah. and uh you know and also a chance for you know to maybe someone's listening to this today they'll be like oh actually no i haven't seen russia in such a long time let me go get that the vhs or the dvd let me get it out again or yeah. on you know on download or whatever the case may be you know and just re-watch these films that you know we all used to love so much so so from that, what would you say is the um, the key reason why somebody might want to watch Russia, or, what, or, or should I say, what is the, the 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 part of the film for you? What's your like, your favorite parts? If you if, if that's if that's possible for you to tell me, your, 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 I can, your yeah, absolutely, bit. yeah, definitely. The wow, um, throughout the whole, thing, I just love their interaction between each other. I love the um, the stereotypes that they have for each other. I love the and that it's not an issue. 
like people look past it it's like it's it's it doesn't affect them as people um i love the fact that they put their differences aside their cultural differences aside and they start working together and i love the fact that you know chris tucker starts off as this person who's quite selfish he doesn't want a partner he's doing everything for his own um kind of rep i guess his own reputation um but he in the end he actually like, comes out strong and he starts caring about people and um you know just that kind of relationship that's the kind of you know the kind of seriousness of it but it's it's a hilarious film it's it's absolutely hilarious it's not just the not just the the you know the lines the jokes but the 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 comedy like i've said i know i'll keep saying this again jackie chan is a god at comedy when it comes to the physical comedy when it comes to fighting comedy it makes his fighting even better it like even more impactful um you know i'll give you an example this is one of the good scenes and it's um another one of the ones that probably wouldn't make it in today actually and it's um <laughs> it's in the pool club scene yeah, I knew that, that, you knew you're gonna you, you knew i was gonna say that didn't you yeah. and essentially carter's going to see his cousin who 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 runs some kind of shady business but it's a front in a pool in a pool club um and he basically he just tells he tells lee who's jackie chan um i don't know if to, if i should say lee or if i should say jackie i say, but I'll I just, say lee i let's see lee so lee's carter. the character lee and, lee, and lee and carter i think you guys should know already you know yeah. we've already spoken for about you know an hour on this already but <laughs> <laughs> but he's like yeah just just follow what i do follow me do what i do and obviously there's that that hilarious like actual like literal taking of it from lee he's he just takes everything that is said to him literally and obviously that is the that's the language barrier that's the cultural barrier that's what we would find if we went to any other country or if someone came over to our country and we were like do as we do um say what i say that kind of thing and obviously carter goes in um he goes in and it's kind of like gangster way he's like yo what's up he's giving the he's giving the the safes he's giving all the he's all giving all the breaders um <laughs> and it, you know he goes what's up my n-word obviously i'm not going to say it because it's a pg but obviously that you know <laughs> lee takes that on board and then when carter goes to do his own thing in a different room lee's like sitting at the bar and then he just rephrases it he does it he says it exactly again uh exactly the same way to the the bartender that's there and obviously the bartender doesn't take it well what's up my what did you just say what's up my literally he like he grabs him starts trying to strangle him and then um lee gets like he gets out of it and then gets into a fight with everyone that's in the the pool club <laughs> and he's using all the sport you know obviously all the props that are in there pool cues pool um pool balls the lighting everything that's in there in very typical jackie chan fashion and you know that's that kind of epitomizes what i love about um rush hour films in general but also jackie chan in general is that his comedy comes through his 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 physical ability his his the fighting and the choreography and the, the use of props and the use of environment the fact that you can just take everyday working things and use them as a as a weapon or as a something to defend yourself with against other things that could be seen as far more deadly um yeah that's that's the kind of epitome of what i like about rush hour and you know that's one of my favorite scenes in it um, I guess. 
mate, if I could send you uh, or put up a, you know, that 100% emoji on the screen, I would do it yeah. right now because that, <laughs> that, that, is, that is brilliant because I think you're absolutely right. Just thinking about it now, that whole scene really does epitomize what Jackie Chan's about. It's got the whole sort of like the guy who doesn't want any trouble and he goes like, you know, I don't want any trouble. Yeah. You know, it's it's the, the guy who makes himself look sort of vulnerable just like a normal everyday yeah. person because it's not like, you know, obviously that massive contrast between Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was pretty much hardly ever hurt, you know. Yes. Uh, Jackie Chan's kind of like the underdog yes. in most cases. So he's, Absolutely. he gets hurt. He's trying to run away. He's trying to calm the situation down. He's, you know, obviously he, he doesn't really want to get into a fight, but then he has to get into a fight. And when yeah. he does get into a fight, he uses his trademark of, you know, using the environment, you know, yeah. which, which which a lot of people have done since, but Jackie still is the man. He just yeah. does it so, he does it so effortlessly. So you yeah. just, you don't realize what he's done. And it might just be a very small thing, but when if you try and copy it, you you know you can't do it. It'll take you a long time to do these little flicks or these little things that he does. He's, the, yeah, he's yeah. got this. I don't know. He's obviously practiced for such a long time. He's just a master of it. There's like he's dedicated his life to this 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 way of of, of artful on screen fighting. It's yeah. it's like you know, I don't. I don't know how good he is as a fighter, as a fighter, you know, like a real fighter in real life, like what kind of situation to ever get into. Um, I'm sure he could kick a lot of people's asses, but, um, yeah. but you know, in he has like this on-screen fighting presence that no one has. It's very, very um, personal to him. It's it. There's no one other than you know in, than him. You know, we're talking about Bruce Lee. He he was a badass, and everything you see Bruce Lee doing, he was a badass. Was it whether it's from the nunchucks, um, or is it taking on the whole um, dojo of uh, Japanese fighters? Yeah, all that kind of thing. That's a completely different kind of badassery that um, Jackie Chan has. Um, but he also brings the humor, and I think that's why he's so successful and so relatable. I think it's because you know people that not necessarily would go to watch an action film or a kung fu film. They wouldn't go to watch it, like say if it was Bruce Lee, you know. Maybe my mum wouldn't go and watch that, but she went. She would go and watch Rush Hour, because yeah. it's a comedy, and it's a lot of the comedy comes through the the fighting. And obviously, you know, um, there's no disservice to Chris Tucker here because he had a fantastic role in this. And, oh yeah. You know, I've heard a lot of things that a lot of the things that he says in the film is all off the cuff, is all improvised, and you know that's the way he works, and he does a tremendous job he's straight he's a straight comedy guy he's really good at what he does and he works really well with, with uh, jackie chan but that's where jackie chan's comedy you know uh his strengths are chris tucker's got the jokes he's got the lines yeah but jackie chan has got the moves i guess that's what i'm trying to say he's got the things that are so so the fastest hands in the east yeah it's the fastest mouth in the west yeah, that's that's the the, that, i think that was the tagline yeah. i think so yeah that, that i mean that that pool club scene it's not even it's not that long and it's not even that dr over, overly dramatic you know there's only four like four guys there um it's not like one of those like 20 to, 20 versus one kind of situations that you you see sometimes but it's really it's just effective it shows you know it sh portrays jackie chan as this guy who is a very good fighter so you've you already given that backstory you're given that the fact that he's a good fighter um and also you're given the fact that he's he didn't really want trouble, but he's misunderstood. Um, and again, I guess that just emphasizes the fact that he's a fish out of water, um, just trying to do the best that he can to try and to try and save his 
his friend's daughter, I guess, is someone that he holds dear to him. I, I did want to say one thing, one of my favorite um, parts in this, aside from that, well, there's two, obviously you've got the war scene and we've had the, we've had the intro music, but the, obviously the war scene, that's iconic to me. And I, whenever I hear War by Edwin Starr, I cannot, I cannot hear it other than in Jackie Chan's voice. <laughs> and it's amazing. And I, do, I wouldn't want it any other way, actually. I wouldn't want it any other way. And uh, apologies, Edwin Starr. Your, your rendition is incredible, but Jackie's is uh, superior in every other way. Everybody knows war. Who? Yeah. Well, it is a good for absolutely nothing. Good guy, you all. It ain't you all, it's y'all. 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 You sound like a karate movie. Y'all. Y'all. Say it from right here with some soul. Y'all. Yo! 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 Let me show your goofy ass how to do this. And they follow that. They, they follow that through, don't they? In like, well, I don't remember it in Rush Hour yeah, Two, oh, it, but I, 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 I remember it yeah. in Rush Hour Three. There's a bit. Well, well certainly, certainly the dance moves that they they do together, where you know they're they're walking away and they, one hand goes up yeah, and yeah. the one hand goes up like that kind of thing. Um, and it, but one joke that I loved in this, and I I I missed it so many times, but I I caught it like, I caught it like just a few days ago, like watching it again just to just to remind me of what happened in the film. Um, and it's when Carter gives um, Lee his ID just before he goes into the Chinese restaurant. There's a part and he goes into the Chinese restaurant to try and find out what's happening with, um, you know, to try and find out to see if, if Su Young's in this restaurant being kidnapped there or if she's in a different place or to find where Jun Tao is, the, the main guy. And he gives him this, um, this ID card, his badge, his police badge uh, with his ID on it. And just and just in case like anything happens, he can just like quickly flash it and just tell everyone that he's like he's LAPD or something, and, and they'll stop what they're doing. Um, but we get this beautiful shot where Jackie's just looking at the ID, and it's it's a hilarious picture of of Chris Tucker with like a mustache and an afro. And but it's the line that he says afterwards, and he goes, "This won't work. I'm not six one, and <laughs> it's it's it, I think." That is what is, it's so subtly amazing because yes, it doesn't work because you're like six one, but it also doesn't work because you're not black and you don't have an Afro. But the fact that they don't mention that, it, it makes it a hundred times more funny. And I loved it. I just wanted to mention that. It's just one of my favorite, it's now one of my favorite jokes in, in, in the film series, I think. Hey, you take my ID. If anything go wrong, you bust in like the LAPD. This won't work. I'm not 6'1". Yes, it will work. Look, man, it's all about attitude, all right? Flip it open, flip it closed. Do it fast. Flip it open, flip it closed. Do it fast. You'll get it, look. Right, so we've, you know, we've talked about Rochelle 1, and we've probably talked, that, uh, talked about that for quite a long time now. Um, but that's something I really wanted to focus on because that is the entry to the Rush Hour trilogy. That is the most important one. That's the one that's going to get everyone drawn in. And hopefully, you know, We've done it uh, justice, and if any people are listening now and they've not watched it, I, I implore you to to go and check it out. And you know, I 
I promise you, you're going to get some laughs, if not anything else. Yeah. Um, and be sure to watch all the way yeah. to the end. Watch all the outtakes. All the way to the, the end. The and that goes, that goes for all of these films. But yeah, for sure. There's, some, there's, that, there's that something I want to mention as well, is that the, the, you know, the end credits are fantastic. You know, I love watching the bloopers in the Rush Hour films. It's something, it's something I look forward to, actually, while, while, while watching the whole film itself. I love watching the, the, <laughs> the outtakes at the end. Um, it's something because, Jack, Jackie's been doing for, for many years as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and to be honest with you, there's a lot because he takes so many takes, especially in his like the fighting scenes, where he does everything to perfection. Where he's doing, where he's like, he's trying to do like kick ups with a I don't know a tin can or something, and then kick it into someone's face. He probably does like a thousand takes of that just to get it right once. I think he actually and, holds a record. If I don't know, if he used to hold the the world record for the most amount of takes on a film. I'm not surprised. He he's a perfectionist and he wants to get everything right and he wants it to look right as well. Um he doesn't want it to look fake, but you know, he wants it to to and he want, wants it to look amusing as well as uh really cool. Um so yeah, there's there's always so much that you can take from just the outtakes. You could probably make a whole new like farcical film just out of uh, out of uh, outtakes from the films and he's done. Um, I'd but pay, yeah, I'd so pay make money sure. to watch that. Watch oh, absolutely, that. I would as well. I would love to watch that. Yeah, so make sure you watch every single one of these to the end. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to spend a massive amount on Rush Hour two and three. Um, I do want to say that Rush Hour two, I, I really, I really enjoyed. Rush Hour three, I think is is, it's it's still enjoyable, but it's not. It's just not on the level of of Rush Hour one and two. Um, I think it's. I don't want to. Yeah, I, 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 would, I guess the phrase is bang average. Yeah. It's 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 good and it's fun. Um, it's a film that you don't really want. You don't really need to pay or want to pay attention much to. It's something that you can just watch. And there are there are really good points in it, and I'll come to those in a minute. But I just wanted to caveat both of this with the fact that I really enjoyed Rush Hour too, um, probably as much as I did the first one. Yeah. Um. And Rush Hour three was. A little bit less so, but still really watchable uh, for me anyway. Um, but I can imagine some people probably wouldn't like three as much at all. Uh, I don't know how if that's how you feel, H. Yeah. That no. that... Yeah, I, I, I really... Do you agree with that? R- Rush Hour Two, in some some ways, was kind of better than Rush Hour One. In some ways, obviously yes. they had that a lot more money. I do want so, to. Yeah, yeah, so I just want to say that I I sometimes I think I prefer watching Rush Hour Two than Rush Hour One. Um, and I don't know what it is because I know, I know that Rush Hour One I think is the better film overall. Like if you're going to take in the whole thing, especially the storyline, um, because the storyline in Rush Hour Two at times gets a little convoluted. Um, but I prefer watching Rush Hour Two. Yeah, I think uh, I think for me it's the fact that it's shot in Hong Kong. I think I just have this. Yes, uh, you know. yes, and it's now it's now that it's, it's role reversal. Chris Tucker now. Detective James Carter is now a fish out of water, but the fact that he just never changes his personality and he's always just this outlandish, loudmouth American guy is always is you know it always adds to the humor of the film anyway. But yeah, let's. I mean, I just talk quickly about the the kind of the story behind it. So we kick the film off, and um, there's a bombing in the U.S. embassy in Hong Kong, and this happens directly after the incident of Rush Hour One. So. At the end of Rush Hour One, they get on a plane, and um, the, uh, Lee's heading back to, to uh, Hong Kong. And 
Detective Carter is now going on holiday. He's taking a two-week break after his uh, exertions in Rochelle 1. A well-deserved break, I think. And um, I guess we kind of start it off in Hong Kong, and there's a bombing of the U.S. Embassy where two undercover customs agents are the targets of the bombing and are killed in the explosion. And we're led to believe that the triads are, are at the heart of the attack, and uh, it's led by the, um, I guess, the boss or the, the main guy of the triads um, called Ricky Tan. Ricky Tan. And he has links to, to Lee's past. He was actually um, Lee's father's um, partner. Uh, he was a, an ex-cop, so he was, a, he was a detective as well, just like uh, Lee's dad. And they were, they, they were buddies. They were partners and friends. And... Lee's father passed away in a very suspicious or under very suspicious circumstances involving Ricky Tan. Um, and Lee believes that he's involved, but there isn't any proof really. Okay. So as straight shooting as, as Lee is, he doesn't really do much, I guess, in response to that. And that's why it's carried, carried over this long. Um, so we, then we, we kind of, we kind of get, Lee and Carter there, they're driving around, listening to the Beach Boys. Um, a little juxtaposition on, on the previous film where uh, Jackie Chan um, changes the radio station and plays the Beach Boys and, and uh, Chris Tucker gets really annoyed. and was like, you never touch a black man's radio boy. <laughs> and um, obviously that, that switches over and, um, uh, and now we're there listening to the Beach Boys in Hong Kong. And Carter's kind of complaining that all they've been doing is working Lee's cases or the backlog of cases that he's had while that's been, that's been kind of growing whilst he's been in uh, L.A. Uh, in the first film. And he's complaining because he's not adding like, like free time. He's not, and he's not been able to go, you know, um, go to the clubs, hook up with some girls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he wants some mushu. That's what he wants. And, he goes, <laughs> and then Lee's like, what, you're hungry? No, I want some women, man. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's you know that's that's the kind of um, peeve, the kind of pet peeve that Carter's got right right now in the in the film. He's like he really wants to go and have fun, but Lee keeps doing his cases and he's getting annoyed at that. So that's where their that's where their new kind of um, conflict is coming from. The fact that he's not having a good time and Lee's still doing his work. Um, so then Lee's then called up by his chief and he's told about the explosion in the U.S. embassy. Obviously now Carter gets uh, in. Carter gets kind of emotionally involved because it's U.S. citizens, U.S. embassy, um, and you know Carter's now kind of already set up to be, you know, to help Lee. Now take take uh, kind of take not take revenge, but I guess find out who's who's at the the heart of the attack and try and um, try and get Ricky Tan under wraps and uh, arrest him. Um, and that's that's kind of the the main the main story behind it. It all starts with that, and it, it kind of leads into this this uh, story where the triad triads have gotten a hold of some very um, rare plates, dollar bill plates, and they've started printing money. And uh, they're very good counterfeits, and um, that's why the uh, there were customs agents involved. Um, and that's why they were targets of the attack. Um, this again, this is where the convoluted kind of like the story gets. It gets a little bit more 
intertwined because it, there, there's a backstory behind Lee's relationship with Ricky Tan, and there's um, there's also this this new kind of uh, threat that is the triads and the fact that they're trying to make all these um, counterfeit notes and get loads of money from that. Um, so we've got that that going on, and that's the kind of main sure. uh, threat of the film itself. And um, so they they spend pretty much half the film in Hong Kong, and you know there's some really great scenes. I'll just go through, through some of the really nice scenes that I enjoyed. There was, you know, they go to a, a karaoke bar um, club that was run by the Triads, and and Lee's trying to essentially just confront Ricky Tan and arrest him if he believes that he's part of the 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 uh, attacks that killed the uh, the undercover customs agents, and that's where he finds Ricky Tan's kind of right hand lady who is uh, Hu Lee who's played by Zhang Zi yeah. um, who's a big you know a big star I think yeah and uh, worthy of note and they kind of they have a little chase scene and I really like this chase scene because um, they're running through the streets of Hong Kong and they end up fighting pretty much whilst climbing up a bamboo scaffold on the side of a building and it has some really good like kind of choreography between uh lee and the henchman where he's trying to he's trying to reach uh who lee uh and try and get some information out of her arrest her and try and then try and get to ricky tan um but obviously the henchmen are, are there and they stop they they kind of they're trying to stop lee and carter getting to them and they have this really cool fight scene on the on the scaffolding i just thought that was worthy of note um, she gets away, and then they go to an, um, a massage parlor, and this is probably my favourite scene in the film. Probably, probably Chris Tucker's favourite scene as well. Yeah, I'm sure it. Yeah, probably was. Yeah, um, and they go to this this massage parlor because I think Lee gets a tip that Ricky Tan goes there a lot, or perhaps there's some kind of triad involvement in the actual um, massage parlor itself, and essentially. Um, Ricky Tan is there and Lee for once goes to go, uh, get some backup because he knows just how um, dangerous Ricky Tan is and Carter's like no what are you talking about he's just like this little Asian guy he's he's not going to do it. I'll beat him up I'll, we'll arrest him right now take 10 seconds and I can go back to my massage or whatever so he confronts him and of course there's like about you know 20 henchmen there that are just ready to beat him up and then there's this amazing like double team of of Lee and Carter having like this amazing like kind of choreography choreographed scene of, of fighting with those two versus like 20 other guys um, I thought that's just a really good scene I know that scene was actually really well shot yeah I really yeah. I really it's fantastic that. and again it's the use of props use of props in Jackie Chan's films always make things better and it's you know there's not much you can use in a massage parlor is there you've got the seating which they use to great effect um, the the stools that which they use to great effect, and the towels which they use to hilarious comedic effect. Um, where Chris Tucker he rips one of the towels off one of the henchmen, and obviously he notices he he sees everything in all its glory, and he utters the words, "I know why you're mad," and then whips him. <laughs> and yeah, so it was just another one of those. I one of those scenes that's just like using using the props 
it's a great effect and then you know because obviously they they get uh obviously the henchmen get the better of them and then leave them like start naked yes. in the middle of like hong kong yes yeah, so they, so they, they beat the first apparently it's true apparently they actually ran through the streets of hong kong and did they, they actually i didn't know that that's amazing <laughs> that is amazing yeah but i mean they they beat the first group and then they there's like another 20 that turn up and they're like oh well now we've lost and they yeah they get stripped naked and then they have to run through uh, the streets of hong kong which is hilarious and um they go back to the police station and uh that's where they find the u.s secret service is now involved because obviously the u.s embassy was under attack now the u.s secret service is involved and they're trying to take jurisdiction they're trying to take like the 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 case off of the hong kong police and um they they basically just tell Lee and Carter don't get involved, just go your separate ways. Um, at which point the actual police station gets bombed, and Lee believes that Carter is is dead. And I, I don't want to spoil anything else, so that's um, that's kind of like the the main story um, of that. It does eventually transition over back to the U.S. It goes back to L.A. and then eventually Vegas. I love the fact that it goes to, it goes to back to America because uh, Carter says to Lee, "If you ever want to find the source for anything, follow like, the rich white man. Follow the rich white man." Yeah, <laughs> that's his theory, and it's a. I think it's quite a solid theory actually. Good, in, 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 good solid in, theory there in life, guys. If you want to figure out the route to your problems, maybe not in life, but cer- fo- certainly in film. <laughs> certainly, in film. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but yeah, no, follow the rich white man, and that's why they're going back to LA because. Um, there was a, a rich billionaire on a yacht who... As you do, of course. Who, yeah, well, he's got a, red, a yacht called the Red Dragon. And he... It's actually... There, there's some triads on that boat. So Carter then is kind of like putting two, two, two and two together and believes that this rich billionaire, uh, this uh, hotel tycoon, um, he's be, he's got something to do with it. So he's like, follow the rich white man. They go back to L.A., um, they get a bit more info and then they go back to uh, La- Las and then Vegas. they go and Las then they Vegas. end up in Las Vegas, Vegas so that's yeah. where they end that's Rush Hour 1 uh, that's Rush Hour 2 sorry I was going to uh, say before you move on to Rush Hour 3 um, a little point about the triads uh, in during this filming I think it was a case of um, life imitating art because uh, the triads were I think actually trying to get protection money for the shoot in uh, in Hong Kong when they oh, really yeah because there's, 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 there's can't been a, write that you cannot write that it's been an ongoing issue in Hong Kong for obviously for, for many years about obviously the amount of uh, money that's f- funded through the triads and stuff and I know Jackie Chan and, and, and a lot of stars in the 90s I think it was tried to do like a, a march against triads and stuff like that and uh, yeah that came up again when they were filming um, and I think it, you know it's it's happened um, it happened even on uh, um, Michael Bay when they shot oh, it in, yeah. in Hong Kong there and there was a, apparently some issues with the triads there as well so yeah. you know it's true man this this, this stuff's good it's triads uh, causing all, ports of, all sorts of problems yeah but they don't have triads in, uh, in, in, uh, in Paris or do they? that's where the Rush Hour guys went to oh, next oh well apparently they do actually so that's a good yeah quick note on uh, two um, I just wanted to say that I enjoyed um Chris Tucker's fight scene with Zing, uh, Zhang Zi. Um, I thought that was really not, that was very good, funny, and um, I enjoyed that. And also, um, a kind of cameo from uh, Don Cheadle. Oh yes, I forgot. About um, he is he's basically running this kind of again. Everyone's got so much shady dealings going on, and there's so much like 
kind of like turning a blind eye to what they're doing from Carter anyway. So, you know, he's not by the book. Um, but it's a, it's like an informant or not an informant or someone that he knows who's got this kind of gambling um, joint at the back of it as restaurant or his takeaway. And it's a Chinese takeaway. Um, and I just I really love John T. Uh, Cheadle's um, role in that. The little cameo that he oh, played. Well, there's the great cameo by that guy um, who's from. I think he's Entourage. I think he's from. Oh, what's yes. Up? And he plays the, ga- yes. the gay guy in the, the uh, gay guy in, in the uh, in, the, in, in the LA sh- where he's trying to get the suits. In a, no Las Vegas where he's Las in, Vegas. Like, sorry, yeah, yeah, not LA. Las Vegas. Yeah, and he's trying to get the suits. <laughs> yeah, that's. Brilliant. And he's like, um, I can. You've got the mocha tuna face, great skin, and he says something like on the lines of, "I want to put a dead a dead animal on you." <laughs> Crats, uh, he's like. Uh, crack skin, buttercream, buttercreams, crack screen, buttercream. I don't know why I remember that, but I just thought, yeah, that was a hilarious uh, part in that. So, yeah, and good yeah, good shout, good shout on that. Oh, I think I should also shout out as well that, you know, yeah, we, also, we, we mentioned uh, Zhang Ziyi, but there was also another hottie in the film uh, that ends up being, oh, yeah. uh, ends up oh. being, uh, apparently, well, we're told, it ends up being like Jackie Chan's girlfriend, as we find out in Rush Hour 3. Yes. Isabella, yes. I think, Isabella. Isabella Molina who is a, a U.S. Secret Service agent, and she's undercover. Um, she's another undercover, um, what do you call it? A Officer or something? Yes, a customs agent even. Yeah, Yeah. so I don't forget who she's played by. She's played by... She's just... played by Rosalind Sanchez. That's it, that's she's, it. She doesn't have like a, a... I don't know. I don't know many of the films that she's in, but I know she, yeah, she's in a... She's done some... I know she's in TV work. She's done like... Yes, uh, I think she's been in quite a lot of television. TV actually. Stuff, so... Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame they didn't bring her back in Rush Hour Three. I thought she was quite a highlight of Rush Hour Two. But yes, there you go. That's just uh, me just looking at, looking at the girls. Yes, and the uh, she has a wonderful Snoopy tattoo as well. Indeed, indeed, guys, make sure you check out Rush Hour Two. Brilliant segue into Rush Hour Three because we do find out that uh, Lee went out with um, uh, Molina, and um, this, I guess, this is. This one's a tough one because I do enjoy it, but it's just nowhere near on the level as the, as the you know the other two, and you know a pretty much that it carries the kind of you know the same story kind of line. There are really good scenes in it that I love actually, and you know I'll, I'll mention some of those. But a quick kind of rundown of of what happens in this one. Um, so James Carter and, and Inspector Lee, they they. They've gone their separate ways and they eventually come together again, essentially, in this. Uh, Lee is now bodyguard of um, of uh, Cancel Han, who is now an ambassador. So he's improved his role. He's now a more prominent figure. And he's about to give a speech, I believe. Um, I, I think it's, it's a speech. At, uh, I think it's the World Criminal Court. And it's to do with the triads. And it's to do with this kind of um i guess this mythological um person that is called shai sen i can't i can't pronounce it um i don't i'm gonna be honest i think it was just it didn't really do anything for me this far that's why i like however i don't blame you however the 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 model in it was very good looking yeah that was the best thing about the film i thought yeah Yeah, so uh, I can't. Hang on, um, I need to. I need to see it in writing. I haven't got it in writing. Shai Zhen or something like that. Shai Zhen. I think I believe it's Shai Zhen. Essentially, this is like this is the person that has a list of of um, the triad leaders. So it's a really important 
person um and it's someone that they want to fight that that the um i guess every every kind of agency in the world every kind of uh, police agency or you know secret service agency want to find out who the members of who the members of the triads are and they want to get hold of this list as do other tribe members because i don't i believe that everyone is quite um you know unknown in this whole world of of the triad uh, criminal organization um so essentially he was going to um pop the lid on where the shai shen was or is um and he gets assassinated so uh, rest in peace ambassador han um, so you, young you will be missed you will be missed sir and of course this again brings to call a uh, call into action for both uh lee and and carter because you know carter's oh wait hold on d- d- does he die yeah oh no no he doesn't die sorry he doesn't die no he doesn't die oh man that's I, a, I thought i thought maybe i missed that bit then <laughs> <laughs> you're right you know he gets shot he gets shot so r.i.p his shoulder i think or something yeah. like that. he oh, just yeah. gets shot oh. but um <laughs> R.I.P. Hans shoulder man. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah yeah. So uh, if you yeah if you thought he died and you just got a massive, um, you got uh, massive, massive gift. We, you may have got a massive gift. We brought, you, we, 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 we just brought him back to life. Yeah. So he doesn't get sorry. He doesn't get shot. I don't know why I thought he died. Um, I guess it's because he doesn't have any role after that. After this kind of yeah, part. That's true, yeah, they bring his um, they bring his daughter back and then his daughter like, does come back and she's older now and noticeably older and. Um, they they see her in the hospital where uh, her father is now recovering. And uh, <laughs> it's he's... just funny because like Chris Tucker's like you know he's like so young, so young, so young, young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and you can just tell that was probably one of his like his little quips is one of yeah he's probably, ad- he's, probably yeah, he's probably yeah he's probably lived that yeah. So yeah, so they essentially um, they're trying to find out who's behind the attack, who's the assassin. That's what they want to know. They want to know. Obviously, it was someone that's linked with the triads, someone that doesn't want them to reveal the details uh, of the triad conspiracy. Um, so uh, they, you know, they they are trying to find the gunman. So straight after that, straight after the 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 shooting, Lee um, notices, I think, someone who had like some kind of uh, sniper. Um, place that he was hiding and he's kind of guessed as to where he would be hiding and tried to chase him down um is it, there's a lot of wire work isn't there in there's the, a lot, lot of, of yeah there's a lot of wire one. work and there's a lot of um suspension of disbelief i think in this one w- way more so than the others yeah um, i think that's why it probably doesn't hit home quite as much as the others and this is going to really sound like we're bashing this film like massively um but it really, I think what that does is show you just how good the first, first two are. Two, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, he, he gives chase and he, he, you know, he, he come, he finally catches up to the, the to the unknown gunman and he, he realizes that the gunman is actually Kenji, who is his foster brother, who is his Jap- Jap- Japanese descendancy, who is a foster brother who lived with him, uh, as a as a child, I believe. Yeah, something uh, like from it. A, from 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 the orphanage. So I guess we're now getting to know that Lee, but 
I don't know how the orphanage kind of works because Lee had a dad. I don't know what's going on with that. I, I can't quite remember how. Yeah, that... actually, I can't remember whether it's whether whether Lee was with him or whether Kenji yeah. lived with. I think it was. I believe Kenji lived with him then. Um, so they're bro- they kind of brought their. You can you can you can see you can see we're doing so much research into this uh, into 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 Russia three, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, we, it was on the other day, and I, I watched it. I, I watched it, and it's like I said, it's the the story doesn't quite hinge as well as the other two, and um, it gets a bit convoluted it, in its attempt to to get us engaged into why we would have a third film. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they shot it in France, which is you know, which is oh yeah, you know, you know I was, yeah. I'm going to come to you know, I'll come to this in a second, and they, you know, it, they they trace all of all of the triads um, kind of dealings to someone that they believe has the Shai Shen list um, who is in, who's France, who's in Paris. So this then brings um, Carter and Lee back together and then they go to Paris and then there's a whole new dynamic, which is, I guess, it's actually quite good. It's quite well done. The dynamic of both of them being a, a fish out of water rather than one of them being a fish out of water at a time. And they're both now in a place that they don't know, where the culture's different, the language is different, the people are different, and the people take them very differently. Yeah. Uh, and th- there's some really nice, funny scenes in it. Like, you've got the the inspector, the, ins- the French inspector, the chief inspector there, who, well, I don't know if he's the chief inspector, but he's an inspector or a detective there. And um, he kind of approaches them when they come from the airport, uh, <laughs> to gives, to they, inspect them closer to inspect them closely yes they they do have a little violation going on I guess. <laughs> um and then there's also the a, a a character now that i quite enjoy and that's the the taxi the driver. driver yeah yeah he's oh, uh, he french he, taxi driver who essentially he wants to he kind of in his mind he wants to be um american uh, an american <laughs> action action hero a kind he wants of, to kill people. Like yeah, he wants to be like a John Wayne, kind of like guns blazing, yeehaw cowboy. Um, his name's George, and he's a good character. But really, he's just he's just a, an every guy, an everyday man, taxi driver. He wants a he, he wants a, the thrill of the ride, but really, he's not prepared for it. So he comes in every now and then into the film, and he does he does inject a bit of a bit of um, a, a bit of good comedy and he, yeah, a, good, a bit of good banter with especially Chris Tucker yeah I think there were some I think there were some good scenes in the in the film I just think overall the film was a bit disjointed I don't think yeah. it really really worked I think you know it all comes together with you know he has to go find Kenji and obviously they've got Sue Young Sue Young's taken hostage and then you know they get they get her back at the, I mean yeah. obviously they had to use the most famous thing in, in Paris which is the Eiffel Tower and I like yeah, the fact that you know, actually, they did that yeah, the, the fight scene at the end on the Eiffel Tower is really good it's really good I really enjoyed it it, it left me suspense, uh, suspenseful and it, it did you know it did make me question whether they would get out of it um, you know and that's 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 something that's very hard to do in a, in the action films is making someone believe making it believable that they could fail, and yeah. that's that's something that's really important. I think they 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 hit the nail on the head with that, and especially in, in the the Eiffel Tower scene. Uh, that was a really good scene, and also there was a really decent car chase scene in it as well, where there's the uh, the triads on the the motorbikes, and they've got George, who's the taxi driver, uh, pulling out the maneuvers, and they had some quite good fight uh, choreography with the dragging the um 
dragging the motorcyclists into the car, beating them with their helmets on, and then uh, escaping eventually. Yeah, there was definitely some. There was definitely some good. I didn't think with Rush Hour threes. I think Rush Hour three probably played on the fact that people loved one and two. So I think by the fact that we loved one and two, they probably knew that we'd yeah. go. We'd go and see Rush Hour three I mean, anyway. They yeah. they they definitely listen. They with any film franchises or or films that have sequels they always have they take what they got from the original and they basically create a checklist of things that they have to include yeah for sure and they 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 definitely did that in 3 they did it they did it well in 2 but they did it in 3 and parts of it worked parts of it didn't work um you still had some decent um fight scenes with uh with Jackie Chan and some of his you know as we talked about before, his use of props, but it wasn't as it wasn't as. It's, uh, it's time, though, isn't it? You know, it's just, it's just it happens to everybody. It's time, isn't it? Everyone's got older. Everyone's done other stuff. Yeah. You know, it's it wasn't. It's yeah, it didn't hit. The, it didn't hit quite as well as the other two. Let's put it that way. Um, and yeah, it, I think it's you can tell. But you know, it made it made two hundred fifty eight million in the box office. Um, but its budget was much larger than its previous two, and it was a hun- it was a hundred and forty million budget. And obviously, you got advertisement, uh, advertisement, and marketing cuts on that. So I can't imagine it making a ma- it didn't make a massive amount of money, hmm. uh, but it certainly did well. And I mean, Rush Hour One may uh, was budgeted budgeted at around thirty three million and made two hundred and forty four million. Rush Hour Two did even better, budgeted at nine. 90 million and made a box office earnings of 347 million dollars so you know it was still a success and i'm not surprised it's still a success it wasn't quite as good as its success but you know i'm not surprised that the rumors of four are still floating around well you know i heard originally i think when they were doing number three or just after two or something came out it was like an interview right right now but then this might just be completely made up on the web that he was going to actually shoot two and three together, and that was the plan: was to shoot two and three back to back. Oh, okay. You know, so you know, like how they did Back to the Future two and three. I think they shot it back to back. Okay. So you know that that probably would have worked a lot better if they'd have done that. Probably it would have worked. It def- most definitely would have worked because, I mean, as long as as long as it didn't affect it the other way around, where it made Rush Hour two worse. Yeah. Um, and it was it actually made Rush Hour three better rather than the other way around. Then yes, I'm hundred percent down. That should have happened. It should definitely have happened like that. But yeah, I didn't know that. That's quite an interesting point. Uh, that would have been quite nice, I think. Well, this is based on the uh, perhaps you know, the story would have been a little different as well. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that's just yeah. from like I said, that's just from the internet. So you take take that as you will. I don't know yeah. if that, that's true or not. So before we uh, wrap up, then just a quick, uh, you know, in terms of anybody who hasn't seen um, the Rush Hour. A trilogy of films uh, what would you say to them or would you say if, what What would the one you've, you've got to watch first I assume it's going to be Rush Hour 1 oh it has to be one I just want to say one one more quick thing about 3 there's one there's one specific scene which is actually great and it's the scene where they go to the dojo um, where Su Young is uh, actually a uh, a teacher there and they, they're going there to try and pick up some something that um, Su Young's father had given her in an envelope um, but they go there and there's this amazing scene between um, Chris Tucker, uh, um, Carter, and the the master there who's called you. And <laughs> oh. there's this amazing like misunderstanding of like you, me, and we. And 
it, I don't want to spoil any. I don't want to spoil the jokes of it, but it's just a really good scene. So I just thought it's, it's, it's a good I'd, take I'd, on I'd, a Chinese surname. I'll end the Rush Hour three. We gave it a bit of a bashing, but that's a fantastic part. They did that really well. But yeah, no. In terms of order, Rush Hour one definitely. Rush Hour two definitely. And if you like the first two, you're going to watch the third one. I'm, I, you know, I guarantee it. You're going to watch it. You're not going to want to miss it, I guess. But if you do miss it, it's not, it's not the end of the world, in all honesty. Um, Rush Hour 1 and 2, definitely. Uh, in terms of my perf- personal preference, I believe that Rush Hour 1 is the better film overall in terms of story uh, and everything else. And in terms of the kind of... The fact that it was new, um, the fact that it was a, the new kind of... We, we, we just now come to see this relationship of, of, um, of Lee and Carter... So that was why, you know, it's probably the best one. But I actually prefer watching Rush Hour 2. I think there are some scenes in that that I prefer. Um, I like the fact that it goes to Hong Kong, like you, you mentioned earlier, and it also goes to Vegas, which is a really, a really good, good part of the film too. Um, but yeah, no, that definitely, you know, Rush Hour 1, then 2, then 3. You could watch them, I guess, in any other order. You wouldn't really spoil the film, the, the films. But yeah, that's how I'd watch it. I agree, man. I agree. I think the thing with Rush Hour 2 is that I think it's just got that... It's got the bigger budget, so it's got much better production quality. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah. You can tell and, in it And well. they spend a bit more time on obviously trying to make it a little bit more, yeah. uh, you know, like go to different locations and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So There's way more action sequences. But, but I think the lines, just for the lines, I think Rush Hour 1 is the... Oh, yeah. Line. No, you're not going to beat one. You're not going to beat one <laughs> when it comes to lines. When, it's quite, when it comes to quotables, one is the, is, is the one, basically. Okay, so um, I guess that takes us near towards the end of t- today's uh, podcast. What we're going to do now is Kazra's going to tell us uh, what his favourite fight scene is from film, or one of his favourite fight scenes. Yeah, this is difficult. I mean... Uh, I'm sure it's difficult for everyone that you ask, actually, because as uh, action film fans, as Kung Fu fans, as Hong Kong cinema fans, uh, as general Asian cinema uh, fans as well, um, there's so many films that have amazing fight scenes. Um, But my absolute favorite is uh, the fight between Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris in Way of the Dragon. I guess the reason for this, and I mentioned it briefly earlier, is when I was young, this was the first Bruce Lee film I saw. Um, I was very, very young at the time. Um, I remember one night I didn't, I wasn't sleeping well for some reason. I went downstairs, and my dad notoriously like sleeps till like really late in the morning, and he was watching. Uh, he he just started watching it. Literally just started as I walked in. Um, he started watching Way of the Dragon, and I was like, Dad, I can't sleep, and he's like, Okay, son sit down and watch this film and I'll and I'll teach you <laughs> I'll teach you about Bruce Lee and um and he's right you know way of the dragon was my intro to uh, to Bruce Lee as a as a young kid um and really it's this fight scene kind of stands out to me um for so many different reasons not just because I was young when I watched when I watched the film itself um but I remember just loving the scene. It was suspenseful. Um, it was choreographed well. Um, the music 
was really great the atmosphere was great the setting was fantastic as well um i guess you know um lee he, he plays tang lun i believe the name of the the hero of the story yeah um and norris plays colt who's a, a world cra- uh, class karate practitioner and he's actually a sensei of of another karate expert that tan fights earlier in the film um, and this is, you know, this is the finale of the film. This is the grand closing to the film. And it's set in the Colosseum in Rome. And it's a very fitting place to, to end the film, I believe, uh, in a very gladiatorial kind of um, um, theme where two, two badasses go up against each other. And I guess they kind of... They don't. They transcend just the characters they played as well. They're both badasses in real life, or at least, um, at least our kind of um, our own popular culture has made them both these like super tier gods of people. Bruce Lee, obviously, being like Bruce Lee, and Chuck Norris being the untouchable Chuck Norris. Um, there's so many memes of Chuck Norris these days. Like, mm-hmm. uh, there's so many jokes about Chuck Norris. You know. Um, Chuck Norris can't have a heart attack because nothing can attack Chuck Norris and you know those kind of things so I guess that's that kind of makes this fight scene go past even just the film itself it's also Bruce Lee versus Chuck Norris the two names as well Um, I guess that comes into the factor of why I like it so much Um, the fight scene itself you need to obviously you need to check it out and I mean a lot of you have probably already seen this because this is one of the you know the films to watch if you're a kung fu fan and you know way of the dragon it's it's up there it's probably my favorite bruce lee film even more so than enter the dragon um and it, it starts off with the two warming up and it i don't know what it is but that part of the film is amazing because you don't usually ever see this um in films I don't know if you've ever seen this in films, and I don't know if this is a current, like a, a a common occurrence. I can't remember it being a common occurrence in in uh, kung fu films or in you know in Hong Kong cinema, where two the two people the two the two fighters are going up against each other. They're like they're doing like warm ups and they're doing stretching and they're cracking their knuckles and they're practicing their jabs and their kicks just before they even start fighting. But I think it's it kind of it shows that they have this respect beyond the fact that they need they're either going to kill each other uh whoever wins is going to die uh, whoever wins is going to uh, going to survive and the other's going to die um but there's this respect and this very like uh, martial arts respect like that typical like bowing like, i don't know if they even bowed in it actually but this you know the fact that they're they're like the they're at the pinnacle of their level of fighters so you know that they're the they're the they're the real deal yeah, that's, a re- that's a really, really good point, actually, Kaz. You know what? I mean, I'm just thinking, I mean, I've just been listening here, just taking in what you're saying. And I, yeah. I, I think, A, yeah, you've chosen a fantastic fight because, uh, you know, Chuck Norris versus, versus Bruce is, 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 is a really well known uh, fight scene. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's from Where the Dragon, which is Bruce's third film. It's yeah. the film that Bruce wrote, directed, uh, you know. Um, uh, himself you know and, yeah. start, and starting obviously um so you know where the dragon is i mean i really like where the dragon i mean i'm, I'm kind of 
I think there's stuff in Fist of Fury that I kind of like, uh, uh, sort of, you know, uh, as well. So I'm always, yeah. t- I'm always, I mean, torn. It's, it I'm always, was, I'm always torn. Yeah. I'm it's torn. I'm torn. I'm torn. Got really good, we got the really good fight scenes in Fist of Fury as well. Yeah, I think, I think, I think Fist of, Fist of Fury, I think, I think is more polished. But I think Where the Dragon. I completely. Yeah, yeah, I can I, see I think, where you're coming I, from. I, 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 yeah. I think Fist of Fury is more polished, but I think Where the Dragon. Is probably the one I like more for the fact that he, you know, it was one that he wanted to make. He wanted, yeah. he directed it. He did all, you know, he put so much, so much effort into, yeah. into, and and also they shot, you know, abroad. And it's not, you know, yeah. Now obviously that fight itself is shot. Uh, you know the 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 externals are shot obviously in Italy, yes. uh, but the but the, the fight itself obviously you know would would have took a certain amount of time to 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 to, to shoot. So that was shot uh, at Golden Harvest Studios and yeah, you, I mean you, you know you, you can, can tell that. watching it now you can tell that it's on a set and that there's a background. You know there's a you know they put the background in or there's some kind of set involved. But it's just but you're right. I think it's it, I love but, the fact that it's very yeah. gladiatorial and, and yeah. you know. I think that's you know it's, that's the kind of atmosphere they were going for. The yeah. fact that these two people are fighting to the death. It's. Um, it's, it's I mean, there's a, there's other good. There's actually a, a, the other good uh, fight uh, fight scene in Way of the Dragon is when they're fighting in the back alley where Bruce uh, Bruce Lee's fighting um, the henchman um, of the of the guy that's trying to take over the restaurant. And that's a really good fight scene as well, and that's where he's using the nunchucks. I don't know if that's the first. I don't know if that's the first time he uses it in a film. Um, no, because he would have used it in Fist of Fury, wouldn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah, because yeah. there's a um, when he goes into the dojo, there's like an uncut version where he pulls out. The yeah, nunchucks. and Enter the Dragons a year after, isn't it? Way of the Dragon, I think. Yeah, so yeah, so Enter the Dragon came after Way of the Dragon. Yes, yeah. but yeah, but you know, definitely the the the, the fight scenes are good. That's definitely the, yeah. the that's definitely the, the fight scene, and um, and I would definitely agree. It's definitely one that if you guys haven't seen it, if anyone's listening from America, I think Way of the Dragon was called Return of the Dragon in America. So yes. if you haven't seen it. Be sure to to yeah. get hold of it but everyone's probably seen it it's by a, now, yeah it's yeah. a great fight scene i mean it's it starts off with um colt getting the better of tang so Norris getting the better of lee and um it's actually quite a funny part in it where um where lee gets thrown to the floor by Norris, and he uh, he he reaches out and grabs his chest hair and he, <laughs> yeah. and he pulls it off <laughs> and then colt gets really annoyed but then um bruce lee comes back I guess Tang yeah, comes I think, back. I think it he comes shows... back, and then he, it shows he's like really quick with his feet, and um, uh, and Norris can't. He just can't keep up with the su- su- uh, the superior speed that um, that Lee has, and Lee's always using the leg kicks that's slowing him down, and then he's switching it from leg to head. Um, it's really good, like that. It's like in terms of, it just shows just how good uh, I, I, Lee's I, character was. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. He got, it, he got, he gets a beating at the beginning, but then he, I think then he like, he's got the feeling for how he fights and then he starts using his footwork and that kind of thing. And it's really, really well choreographed in, in that respect. I think the fight, I think the beating that Lee takes, uh, you know, at the beginning, uh, yeah. I think that's, I think it's maybe, that's probably where Bruce was trying to epitomize the whole style versus no style kind of thing where, yes. you know, he obviously at the beginning, he is trying to fight uh, Chuck Norris's character 
in that very sort of rigid form sort of style of you know you know obviously it's it, it's it's very it's very stylized and very sort yes. of it's very you know you're following a certain pattern of fighting and all that so, so it's quite rigid yeah uh and then when bruce obviously starts to loosen up and i guess follows his own philosophies of jeet kundo and you know exactly uh, yeah. i was gonna say and, it, and yeah. it really does it really does show his his kind of ideology when it comes to fighting and even in this film itself like prior to the scene there's a scene where um, he goes into the restaurant and they're learning karate and um, uh, there's some kind of like dispute and um, Bruce kind of just like confronts him and says, well, you, you don't be so rigid in your way of of martial arts. Take everything that works. And he basically, he just takes his own philosophy from Jeet Kune Do, Jeet Kune Do and, and kind of implements it into his films as well to come across as a message. Uh, again, that really works, and it works well. And again, you know, like you said, it works in this specific fight scene as well. But Br- Br- Bruce is very, uh, very, very, very clever. You know, he knew exactly how to play uh, yeah. to, to to his audience. You know, he, yeah. he did it with Fist of Fury. And there's always this underlining sort of, you know, uh, Chinese being oppressed, and then they they come up against a, a foreign oppressor and then yeah. they win you know and it, you know there's always going to be that chinese versus japanese thing that chinese versus yeah the western guaylo and that's always going to be there and i guess bruce knew that the audiences you know wanted it to see him you know beat yeah. you know beat beat this sort of western uh, oppression or beat yeah. general oppressors up and he he, he plays the role uh, brilliantly and he knows exactly how to how to how to cater to his market and i think where the dragon just you know was again was a perfect vehicle for him to show you know how how strong the chinese uh yeah. are uh so that's a, that's a that's a it's a really really great, yeah, the, great i mean yet the end of the fight as well there's um tang bruce's character he covers a, a cult with his geet up um as well so like and his belt as a sign of respect um even though they've just tried to kill each other and i don't think colt or norris's you know chuck norris's character was the nicest of people in the actual film itself i'm not sure how much respect he paid to other people but i love the fact that um bruce then covers up colt after he's killed him with his geet up and his belt I was uh, I, I, as I remember, a sign of respect. It, it's funny because I remember I think it was on the commentary for uh, the DVD. I remember Bay Logan says, uh, "You know, I'm not sure there was any need to, to actually kill the character because he'd already basically disabled him by that point anyway." Yeah. You know, uh, which is which is yeah, which, like you know, yes, he's, he's, he's basically crippled him anyway. Yeah. But I guess you know, it's a it's it's a film. So I guess for the well, film, most, for the most, I think it's that, because I think it's because uh, Chuck Norris's character didn't actually want to give up and we kept fighting, kept fighting, kept fighting, yeah. which was you know that's that was I think that's what brought the respect at the end. And yeah, that's, that's why. Uh, at the end, so Bruce Bruce basically puts him out of his misery. But yeah, there's, then, there's uh, tremendous amount of films that I could have chosen. There's tremendous amount of um, fight scenes, but I think in terms of you know a lot of people might look at that now and you watch it now and it it might not look as good as it as it would now i still think it holds weight but, yeah i think you've got to look at the time um, you know who, who's there's not many people that but it holds something dear to me i think as well that's that's a big factor in this and at that time nobody was shooting films like that no one was shooting fight scenes like that so yeah and yeah. i mean yeah there's there's so many films i'm i mean i don't know it's not a kung fu film but um in old boy i love the, the fight scene where he's in the hallway and he's beating the people up with a hammer and there's Ong back as well um when he's is fighting in the, the the kind of fight pit the street fighting pit 
Um, there's so many various different films that have fantastic fight scenes and this is just probably the one standout one if I had to choose was the one that I, I picked. All right, Kaz, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure yes. chatting, chatting with you today. Absolutely, thank you. yeah. Thank you very much for having me on. No problem, man. Uh, thanks so much for going through Rush Hour. It's been great to relive that again. Oh, it's, and, yeah, it's good. Really good. And uh, also, definitely thanks for choosing a, uh, a favourite fight scene to share with the rest of the listeners. And I definitely think Chuck Norris and uh, versus Bruce Lee and Whale Dragon is definitely up there in, uh, in the top ten. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. All right, Kaz. Take care, man. Thank you. Bye.